So Lisa, last week I was getting prepared to facilitate a dialogue with an organization that provides mental health care. And what was really interesting is that we've spent several weeks working through white privilege. Uh, it's, it's something obviously that a lot of people are identifying as a thing. We've been identifying it as a theme for a very yeah. long time. Uh, but as I was looking around for what I call sparks, which basically a spark is something that kind of sparks dialogue and conversation amongst folks. We need a starting point. I was looking around and I found this graphic by Barner Hess, Dr. Barner Hess, who identifies as a, a black male. Um, and he gives us this visual of eight white identities. And I thought it was really interesting because I know your background, my background as well, as far as really looking at all different types of human beings, their development, their trajectories. And I have only seen a couple of white identity theories, but this isn't a theory. This seems to be several different identity groups that he's trying to flesh out. And I just wanted to think through it out loud with you. Does it hold true? Does this really intersect with our experiences? I, I think we could critique a lot of his work. Ooh, I'm excited. I haven't heard of it. And um, you shared it with me about 30 minutes ago. So we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna jump in here and do this on the fly because I think this could prove very interesting. Um, a very interesting discussion that could be really enlightening for a lot of people. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I looked around, I did a little bit of homework. I'll probably dig around a bit more for our listeners, but uh, Barner Hess seems to be a PhD who was uh, educated over in the UK, uh, now is in Chicago. So I'd love to learn more about him and, and possibly connect with him. But he came up with the eight white identities. And I thought it was so fascinating. I think what was interesting, most interesting to me was that um, it had some things in it that I probably would tweak. However, I loved that it finally came from a person of color critiquing white folks rather than white folks providing an empirical critique of people of color. And so the, that was my starting point that made it attractive to me right there in that moment that it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's a lens, especially of a man of color. So I thought that was really a fascinating place to start. Yeah, it is a different way of approaching it, right? Because most of the white identity theories that I am aware of, when I say most, there aren't really that many, like you said, um, are derived from white people. And that's not wrong or bad, right? But certainly, mm -hmm. I think white people view themselves through mm -hmm. a certain lens. And so folks of color who are often on the receiving end of micro and macro aggressions and violence from white mm -hmm. people obviously have different and important perspective. So mm -hmm. we'll include the, the link to this um, set of identities in the show notes. So yeah. you can pull it up on your phone if you're listening to this or you can look at it afterwards. But mm -hmm. maybe should we begin, Shauna, with going just saying what each of them are? Yeah, absolutely. And so Barner Hess kind of comes up with these eight different white identities that I thought were pretty yeah, let's critique them. They're, they're thought provoking. The first one is white supremacist, which 
it kind of seems as you would imagine it. Uh, they are clearly marked white society that preserves names and values white superiority. They, they name it. This seems to be the most egregious of white identities and maybe the most harmful, but we can parse that out. Then the second is white voyeurism. So this type of white person wouldn't necessarily challenge a white supremacist, but they also desire non-whiteness because it's interesting to them. It's pleasurable to them. It seeks to control the consumption and the appropriation of non-whiteness and non-white folk. And so they are fascinated with the culture outside of themselves. So this would kind of be like the white person consuming black culture without really dealing with the day-to-day of blackness. Um, so voyeur, yeah, it, it is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. White privilege, we've heard this before, which is the part I kind of want to think through with you, Lisa. So I need half of your brain to connect with half of mine. White privilege is the group that may critique white supremacy, but they still have a deep investment in lots of questions of fairness and equality under normalizing whiteness. So they have this goal of diversity, but getting to it is still going to be a little tough, right? Then the fourth one is white benefit. So let's underline the word benefit there. They're sympathetic to a set of issues, but only privately. So they won't speak or act in solidarity publicly because benefiting through whiteness in public is important to them. So that's kind of like, you know, when I, as a black woman, kind of sticks my neck out during that committee meeting or um, even during that tri-club meeting and the white person who agrees with me doesn't say anything in the meeting, but they slip me a text message or send me an email after the fact, right? The white confessional they have some exposure to whiteness taking place and they kind of see the privilege, but it's a way of being accountable to people of color after the fact, not in the moment. So they're seeking validation from people of color. And so I kind of imagine that, um, that very general, uh, I guess, Catholic approach of let me walk into this confessional that nobody knows about, but me and this one or two uh, white uh, people of color, as I talk about my whiteness, then it's white critical. So taking on board critiques of whiteness and investing in exposing and marking the white regime regime. So they're really focusing on not being complicit with, I would say, white supremacy. Um, Their whiteness is speaking back to whiteness. So they're critiquing themselves and their group, their in-group. The white trader, this is really flagrant language, which is why I like this one. White trader Uh, they're the type of person that actively refuses to be complicit in the work. They're naming it constantly, what's going on. Um, And their intention is to kind of flip upside down white authority and tell the truth at whatever cost to themselves. And so they're ready. You know, it's kind of going back to cast. They're ready to dismantle institutions. And then finally, um, the eighth identity They want to change institutions. They're called white abolitionists, appropriate probably. Changing institutions, dismantling whiteness, and not allowing whiteness to reassert itself. So it kind of, um, it kind of reminds me of that whack-a-mole type uh, game where you know it's like the little whack-a-moles keep popping up, and you know every time it pops up, you want to hit it over the head and make it go back. Um, So they're all about dismantling and changing institutions. So this is where Barner Hess is coming from. I've talked enough, Lisa, at this point, but what do you think about those eight different identities that uh, Dr. Hess has come up with here? What's interesting, right? Because I'm wondering, my first question is, is this linear, right? Is the um, the perspective that someone moves from 
one to eight, or perhaps they're never at one, which is white supremacist, right? Perhaps they're Mm -hmm. at three or four, and then they move through to eight, which is the white abolitionist. I I would argue that it's not that simple, right? That there's probably Mm -hmm. movement back and forwards between these layers or phases. Um, And then the third one white privilege is an interesting linguistic choice because as you and I talk about white privilege, Mm -hmm. we talk about it in the sense of this is something that white people have um, by virtue of their whiteness, right? It elevates Mm -hmm. white people above others because the system is built to benefit white Mm -hmm. people. So it feels more expansive and umbrella-like than Mm -hmm. an identity, Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, it's kind of like that equity uh, quote is that it's, it's an end result, but it's also a process and way of being. So, you know, an end result of, yes, you have white privilege, obviously it's unearned privilege. So you have it, but also it's a way of being in the world. So how you manage things around you. And so, I don't know if, if I had a conversation with Dr. Hess, I would ask that question first. Um, I feel like the other seven link on to white privilege, meaning that you you almost can't have the other seven unless you start with the root and the root might be white privilege. So yeah, I I would have that cross cutting. So I know that every, um, every smarty pants uh, (laughs) critiques the visual of things. And so, you know, if I had to kind of, I don't know, I might create this as like a family tree of whiteness and the Mm. root is white privilege. And then you kind of branch out from there in different areas. Um, Some of them are low hanging fruit because they're easier to kind of parlay into. And some are more difficult. Like I think it's very difficult to be a white abolitionist. Oh yeah. Because it's countercultural. So I, I kind of, maybe it's because uh, my oldest son, Trey, has been working on our family tree le- lately, but I just, I'm envisioning yeah. this family tree thing going on here in my brain, Lisa. Yeah. And the thing that sticks out to me with um, the white privilege category or identity is that deep investment in questions of fairness and equality. And I think that really mm-hmm. resonates with the endurance sport community, right? Um and indeed education, right? We've already talked about affirmative action um, on this podcast. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it taps into that. Um, But fairness and equality, the idea that um, we're really striving for equality and everyone being treated the same, but treating people the same doesn't address the fact that folks are not starting from the same place, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, like when I used to think about feminism and women, when I was much younger, you know, I'd always frame it as like women's equality, women's equality with men, right? I did not have a critique or understanding of um, the continuum of gender at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wasn't taking into account the fact that women have been historically marginalized and oppressed, you know, forever. Right. So even, you know, if a man and a woman both get like cheese sandwiches, right? Which is like an equal thing. Um, right. the, the woman is still set back from the guy to begin with. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder whether that's really the heart of that particular identity is around, yeah, we have white supremacy, but we just want things to be fair. So maybe it ties in with colorblindness even. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, right. Tying in with colorblindness and also tying in with, you know, this kind of goes back to a, a few podcasts ago when we were talking about President Obama's book and recalling Turing, uh, I believe it was Auschwitz, where, you know, there was a great acknowledgement yeah. by Germany of the starting point, what happened originally, the apology that needs to happen and what needs to happen next. Whereas this model skips a lot of that history that you're bringing up and just tries to get to the now. And it's hard to acknowledge the difficulty and the how problematic the now is if you don't understand the history of something. Right. You know, it, you, right. you have to, and I'm not saying stay in the history, but you have to hold it and carry it with you mm -hmm. um, in, in order to understand exactly where you are at the moment. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when you said, I think many white people, myself included, probably put themselves further along on this scale than they actually are. And I, oh. I would think a lot of mm -hmm. people are actually at that three and four. So three being white privilege, white four privilege, white benefit, mm -hmm. um, because of the white voyeurism, you know, I'm thinking Rachel Dolezal and all of those um, individuals who had kind of masqueraded as people of color because it was somehow exotic or pleasurable or attractive in some way. Right. This kind of like fetishization. Mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. blackness right. um, in particular. And so, you know, I don't, I would, uh, I think that's probably a smaller group of people. And then the number one white supremacist, mm -hmm. that makes me think of like Charlottesville and kind of really explicit um, mm -hmm. white people who articulate a message verbally and loudly, right? That oh, yeah. white mm -hmm. people are the best and, um, yeah. Our society is changing for the worse as we get more diverse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think yeah. that they feel they feel easier to understand um, mm -hmm. because I think we have much more obvious cultural examples. And I think one and two are where most people go. Mm -hmm. Well, let me rephrase where most white people go when they think about racism, when they think about the concept or the application mm. of or the action of racism, right? They think about that white voyeurism and the white supremacist. Yes, yes, yes. So, so right. So most white people go to that place of, you know, somebody's wearing a sheet and burning a cross when it does right. not have to be that overt to still be in the categories yeah. of white supremacy and, and white voyeurism. Right. And so what, what is more scary, I would suggest, um, I know for me, I will speak for me, what's scarier for me are the folks that are in those first two categories that are covert. And mm, mm. they're talking about diversity and using uh, really hip and sexy language, but they still want the preservation of white superiority. Like we'll, we'll let you, we'll let you move along a little bit, people of color and women, but you're still not going to get to where I am. So, you yeah. know, there's still that place of, I still need to be first. Now we can be closer, but mm -hmm. I, I still need to be first. Mm -hmm. And, and that voyeurism piece, which I think is really fascinating, um, is that, you know, let, let's wrestle with it a little bit. People of color are not uh, valued enough to be uh, to have the same privileges as them. However, they're valuable enough to peek in. So, so it kind of goes back to that trying it on thing that we talked about before, like, oh, I'm willing to try on right, right. blackness or, you know, I'm willing to try it on a little bit, but I have the privilege and the luxury of taking it off really fast. I'm um, more, I can peek into that world, but not live in it. And 
you know, that's where, you know, people in my community say all the time is that, you know, you, you want the, the luck, you want some of the luxuries of blackness, but you don't want the struggle of blackness. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may want my hair and my body image and, you know, pick on a few of those things, but you don't want the moment when, you know, you don't get that interview because you showed up with a quote unquote white, uh, white name, but you showed up as a person of color when you interview for that job. Like right. the, the struggle doesn't come along with that. So it's, it's just enough. It's almost like window shopping. Like you're going to look through the window, <laughs> you, you look through the window of blackness to see what are they doing? What? Oh, that looks like, we love their music. We love, but then back away, um, which I think, you know, you're right. They kind of hang out there, but I would rather have the overt than the covert because at least I know who I'm working with and what I'm working with. Yeah, I think a lot of these also are quite covert. Like number four is the white benefit, right? And that's, you know, I say something to you privately that the way that you were treated in that meeting was horrific, but I didn't do anything in the moment to Mm -hmm. kind of step in and name the whiteness. Right. So right. that I think right. that's that's a covert kind of racism, right? Mm. Um, uh-huh. And interestingly, uh-huh. on this image, it says in parentheses under white benefit, some people of color are in this category of well as well. So what do you think about that? Mm, yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. I'm I'm thinking about um, a few of my close friends. I consider them very close, but they also are people of color who present as white, right? And so, for example, they get to make the decision whether they're going to put their neck out there or not, um, because in the moment they are being perceived as a white person, um, in despite the fact that they are a person of color. So they get to decide whether they want to have your back in that meeting you were mentioning before or not, because they may be perceived right. as a white person in the moment. So I, the first thing I thought about there was passing you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's the first thing I thought of like, so for example, my, um, my principal research assistant, Andrea, she presents as white, even though she is, she is a Latina. And so, and and a very proud Latina. So she does have to make decisions in the moment in, especially in mixed company who don't know her background um, that, okay, do I get to step out of this white benefit or do I stay in it? So that's, that's what I'm envisioning happening there for sure. But you know what I was thinking too, Lisa, mm-hmm. is that as we go across or cut across all of these white identities, I think what's really interesting is the um, comfort, the level of comfort yeah. changes based on where you are on this yes. chart. Yes. So if you want to hang out in white supremacy and white voyeurism and white privilege, so one, two, three, real comfortable there. Mm-hmm. It gets a little more hot and heated once you get down to white critical, white traitor, white abolitionist, because then you um, become, as as my buddy Brian and I say all the time, you become co-conspirators with people yeah. of color now, which therefore then puts you at risk, your safety, whether you know emotionally, psychologically, all of that. And so I, I think the level of comfort changes based on which identity you're working with here. Oh, I think that's a great way to articulate it. Um, and I, I, th- yeah, because it is. Because as, as I read through this, I go four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, I even I even have a feeling as I'm trying to like evaluate where I might be on this. I'm like, it does start to get kind of a little bit more uncomfortable as I read down to abolitionist, right? Like in terms of really mm-hmm. grasping what that means. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think I'm there, but maybe I'm an aspiring critical person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the 
It's yeah, the comfort piece. And I, so I want to, to your point about comfort and what you just articulated with white benefit mm-hmm. and um, folks of color who are passing and have to make a decision in the moment about whether they're going to benefit from whiteness or mm-hmm. not in terms of that code switching that's happening. Mm-hmm. I think white people are making that same calculation, but I think the consequences are different, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're making decisions in the moment, but yes, the consequences are different. Yes, they may step up and there may be discomfort or uh, lessening of safety, but that lessening of safety may not be as critical as as for a person of color. So if you right. and I both step up and say the same thing in a meeting, I still may have more to lose than you do, even though we're saying the same thing. Exactly. You know, okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. So, you know, so this is where, you know, I'm wondering as we still kind of maneuver through endurance sport, and I'm primarily thinking about people of, of power in endurance sports. So whether yeah. you're a coach, whether you're a business owner that lends itself to endurance sport, you know, at what point do you continue to move out of your comfort zone? So, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about things that f- from as egregious as, uh, let, let's go from, from least, uh, least uncomfortable to most uncomfortable. Least uncomfortable might be when you log on to XYZ uh, wheel manufacturer, there's a banner that says, Black Lives Matter or something like that on their website, right? right? right. Least uncomfortable. Get the get the web designer to do it. It's done. Mm-hmm. Versus more uncomfortable, which is I've noticed that there's been racist comments on one of my suppliers' social media, and I choose to take the hit, call the attorneys, mm-hmm. and pull out of my contract with right. like the that's where we get the comfort piece when it comes to yep. endurance sport is yep. how uncomfortable do you want to be? Um h- how uncomfortable are you willing to be? I don't even want to say want. How uncomfortable are you willing to be to have your sentiments of anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti all the isms, how uncomfortable are you willing to be in order to um have moral ground and and i think that's a question that you know it's moment to moment or or you know business deal to business deal i guess you know yeah like it's always fluctuating isn't it so that's why you know thinking Mm -hmm. about our question around whether this is linear and that i think i think it's not and i don't know whether that was the intention probably not but Mm -hmm. this you know depending on the circumstance that you're in the risk the perceived or actual risk Mm -hmm. um, that is going to affect how you engage with, you know, all of these white identities. So probably every white person has some portion of all eight of these white identities in them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And to a greater or lesser degree, depending on their willingness to sit in discomfort Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. their perhaps level of power in an organization. um, Mm -hmm. I think that that is probably something to think about. And that might not be a very nice feeling for white people to think about <laughs> having some of the, the, the one and the two and the three. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. For yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. So, you know, like I even wonder where, you know, for example, white benefit may be going back to, you know, a previous one or two podcasts ago where, you know, the, the cycling team, may agree that eh, no you should not uh partake in 
virtual blackface of any sort. However, we don't want to lose our premier cyclist. So we're just going to hang out on the fringe of this conversation. Right. You know, so yeah, I, I think we really have to think very strongly. Like, you know, it, it goes back to what Kendi is, has been saying is that, you know, there is no such thing as not racist. Like there's right. no neutral way to be anti-racist. It's only a proactive way of being anti-racist, which mm-hmm. requires a, le- a level, increasing levels of discomfort if you want to follow this trajectory. So mm-hmm. especially as business owners in, in endurance sport, but I think, you know, individually as well, being that white person that hears that joke that was inappropriate and being uncomfortable to interrupt it and say, you're not going to tolerate right. it, whether a black person is here or not, or an LGBT person is here or not. Mm. You don't want to hear that crap. Yeah. And he, he says that you're constantly moving backwards and forwards, right. Between mm-hmm. anti-racist and racist. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a negotiation. It's fluid. Um, and your point that you just made is that white confessional piece, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm kind of understanding that whiteness is existing and then I'm benefiting it, fin- better, mm. sorry, benefiting from it. Right. Um, but right. it's rather around being accountable to folks of color and I want validation, right? So I'm going to interrupt that racist joke when there's a person of color there, but I might not do it if it's only white people because I'm, I'm wanting to appear woke or like I get it or anti-racist mm-hmm. in the company of folks of color. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to hear like my white superiority, what makes me want to hear from black people or Latinx people that you're a good white person. <laughs> oh yes. A good white person. Look, look that goes, that goes back to the very first pod, Lisa, nice white triathlete. Yes. <laughs> we just came full circle by accident. How about that? Um, but you know what? I think if we were to uh, edit and refashion all of these white identities, um, even in connection with endurance sport, we do need to interject that white wokeness in at some point, right? And I, I realize that, you know, wokeness is, you know, one of those trendy, sexy mm-hmm. words right now. But I do think some type of like white awakening or something, because I do feel like there, <laughs> there are, are good white folks, good white triathletes who have good intentions, but we still to we still need to acknowledge that awakening piece because that's been acknowledged by other scholars when it comes to people of colors awakening about right. themselves. Yeah, you know when if I look yeah. up theories of blackness and negrescence, and I know we're getting real, you know, uh, PhD scholarly on y'all, but there are theories about black people developing called negrescence, and there are stages about awakening. You know, as far as who mm-hmm. you are and how mm-hmm. other people perceive you, there's no real awakening in these identities at all no you're right it doesn't really address that at all does it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like and those experiences that kind of make you shift maybe between some of these identities yes yeah absolutely absolutely well you know the awakening of um hello you are white and you have been treated as the normal as the norm as whatever since birth but you're not right and, and the, that decentering or not being in the mm-hmm. spotlight that it requires. I, I think all of that is something that could be added to the critique of this, even though I really like this framework. It's a great, it's a phenomenal mm-hmm. start. Uh, but I do think that we could, we could tweak a little bit on this. I think we could too. And it's interesting. Like, I don't really remember a lot of the white identity development, but I do 
and I do know that there's a, at least some layer that involves um, kind of anger, right? Like a recognition mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have been centralized and that you don't want to be centralized anymore. So you're mad about it and you start to yeah. see things. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually feel like I'm cycling back through that a little bit because <laughs> I've like my, I don't know what's happened, but my antenna is just particularly high right now around television shows. Oh yeah. All mm-hmm. these new television shows coming out. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, it's full of white people. Like, oh, yeah. just white, 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 white all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's I've had that realization before. Yeah. It's not a new feeling, but there's something particularly like salient right now about it. So I don't know what happened that has made me think about that. And obviously you probably have thought about that since you were a child. And so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. been a really interesting process. And so I don't know where that would necessarily fit on here, but I just, mm-hmm. that's, it's a cycle. It's a tree. Like you said, it's just not that simple to Mm-mm. categorize, but where's that point of awakening, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, what's that point of awakening and also realizing there's not just one quote unquote type of white person that white people fall in different places or they are experiencing life in different ways. And it requires critique because how do you want to, how do you continue to develop fully as a person if you don't do some self-examination of where you are at the moment? Right. Right. You, you can't. And so, you know, I think that's important, but you know, the, the piece that I thought about more recently, and Lisa, I think I shared this with you is that you're right. Even when it comes to TV at the moment, you know, I was freaked out when the calendar flipped over to March 1st, because I'm thinking, oh my God, all of this diversity, when it came to black history month, for example, in TV, Netflix, et cetera, what if they take all this stuff down come March 1st, because I'm, I'm used to seeing myself yeah. somewhat, but not yeah. as much as in February or, <laughs> and even with, you know, women's women in movies, you know, and, and film, you know, are they going to take some of those favorites down, you know, come April 1st, but, you know, you could think about it with all the different uh, celebratory months, but, you know, I think, you know, taking white folks out of the center of the conversation yeah, um, and putting everyone in the center, um, it gets us somewhere, but you know, I jokingly uh, thought about Lisa. I, I don't know if you ever read the books or watched the movie itself, but this was kind of like that throwback to Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like, you know, Fifty Shades of Whiteness here. Like, w- right. pick one, pick one, pick one, whichever one you fit, pick one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll include this image so you can see the eight white identities, like I said at the beginning in the show notes. We would be curious to hear from you. Um, and I guess we would challenge you to be really real and raw about thinking <laughs> about where you are, because I do think white people, because of white supremacy, overinflate where they are, myself mm. included. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, and how does that relate to your engagement in, dur- and in endurance sport? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and then, you know, let's consider continue the conversation. You know, now we have um, our Facebook private group to talk about these topics. So please join us on the unfazed Facebook group um, and we'll continue the conversation about the eight white identities. I would love to hear, like Lisa said, where you land. Um, and also, too, if there are people in your world, if you are a person of color and you clearly see how you would match white people into per- particular categories, then tell us about that as well, because maybe you see it. Uh, You don't have to call anybody out, uh, but maybe you see it. Mm -hmm. And we'd love to hear more about how you're getting more adept to determine what type of person are you dealing with, working with, connecting with or not, and uh, how we all navigate this world together here. So 
I, yeah. I think uh, building the plane as we flew here, Lisa, yes. was, was pretty good considering we just took a look at this visual. <laughs> yes, I know. And I, I, I just want to add quick, quickly that this we're, we're not intending to shame people here, right? I think that this not is an all. important part of um, mm -hmm. self-development to Shauna's point around self-reflection and exploration. Mm -hmm. Like you got to have these conversations head on, white people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not... Um, it's, this conversation is not intended to create shame. It's intended to create awareness. Absolutely. The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>